Hi, I'm Otto. Welcome to Ellen Sarah's podcast. Okay, so this week we have a really interesting guest. We have Aditi Narukar. She is a Harvard physician and an expert in stress, resilience, burnout, and mental health. None of those are issues of mine. I'm in perfect mental health. I never, I've never felt burnt out or stressed in my life. Yeah, um, can you think? You know, oh, I know so much about stress and burnout. We talk about it a lot. You realize there's still so much to learn and so many tools that you can access to really change the way you feel in life. And she is fascinating mm-hmm. and relatable. You know, I think we really make a concerted effort to have conversations with people where you feel like you're inside of the conversation, not on the outside, not understanding what the fuck people are saying. Mm-hmm. And we just, should we hear what she has to say, sir? No, I, we definitely want to hear what she has okay. to say. I'm just curious because you were kind of, yeah. Well, I'm just explaining to people, this is what is going to engage them. And are they going to listen or are they not? I mean, but they've, they've clicked on it, right? So like they're on their walk. Like, what are they going to do? Switch out of it? Go to another podcast. I think we still get the same listens that like the download is the download. So even if they tune out now, like I think we're good. Okay. All I'm saying is some people might see Harvard, you know, physician and go, oh, you know, I'm not. A little intimidated. Yeah. But Mm -hmm. this is... I just absolutely love this conversation. Also, to even out the intimidation, Sarah and I are in the conversation. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right, enjoy. Hi, how are you? I'm great. How are you guys? Well, this episode could not come at a better time. I, I'm in a full-blown spiral. Oh, you're I'm, just going all in. Can, well, you, can you want to introduce yourself first? Say hello. I'm explaining that you're Sarah. Okay. Yes. I just... We'll say I'm Sarah. Oh, I'm Sarah. I'm Erin. Nice <laughs> to meet you. I am so happy to have you here today because... Sarah needs you, I believe. No, I had right before I had... I, I, I Let's just be real. Sarah was crying about 20 minutes ago. I was, like I just broke down in tears. I was like, I can't do this life. I'm not equipped. I There aren't enough hours in the day. I'm failing everywhere. I need a mental break. I'm, I, I'm, I'm like struggling showing up for so many people. I don't know. You're having a breakdown. I don't or, know if it's, or a breakthrough. Yeah. Or yeah, I, it's, there's, well, before we get to Dr. Aditi, well, I, I want to call you Dr. Aditi. I know that's the, only your first name, <laughs> but it just feels right to me. So if you're ready for it, I'm cool with it. Okay, great. So I want for you to be able to diagnose Sarah's clear like mental illness that she has, but also, um, so that we can really ease into this a little bit. Um, yes. just kind of explain, I want to explain to our audience that you are, which I find fascinating when people are not just from one lane of medicine, you sort of look at different lanes. Cause I think that that's the only yeah. way you can really actually understand how people work. So you are an MD, a traditional Western medicine MD with an internal medicine degree, right? Uh, yep. but you are also a public health expert and medical correspondent and you, your expertise is in stress, resilience, and mental health. Yes. So I am dual board certified in internal medicine, which is like everyday medicine. When you think of a primary care doctor, the doctor is taking care of you in the hospital, diabetes, heart disease, strokes, you know, that stuff. 
And then I have done a fellowship and extra training in integrative medicine through the NIH, which is studying the mind-body connection. It's something that's not really well understood, certainly not talked about in the science. So what is it? Why does it exist? And it is a real entity. And then kind of like that's kind of where I um, got started And now, because of the pandemic, prior to becoming a doctor, I used to work in Geneva, Switzerland, in global health. And those were like two separate interests of mine. Infectious disease, I worked with, you know, in refugee health with HIV and AIDS. And then I became a doctor, and that was a public health work that I was doing. Mm -hmm. Then when I became a doctor, I really loved this idea of mind-body medicine. So I never really thought that there would ever be a time that those two things would combine. Why would they? And then the pandemic happened. And so here we're dealing with this global pandemic, an infectious disease, and then there's so much stress and burnout and mental health challenges as a result of all of the various things that we've been through. So, you know, it there are no silver linings to this But if there was one, it would be that these two kind of separate worlds really helped me to understand what people are going through. And Sarah, I relate, you know, just because I know the science doesn't mean I don't feel the same things. It's February, just characteristically a really difficult month for most people. Thankfully, you're in LA. I'm in Boston. Oh, you (laughs) mean it's difficult for people because of the weather? Yeah, I mean... It's typically, yeah, you know, the holidays are over, January gets tough again because it's the weather and it's winter, but we're in year three of the pandemic. And I think the biggest challenge is that our brains can't register when the finish line is, right? Like we're, we're very good. Our brains are really adept at managing acute stress. Mm-hmm. So if back in 2019, 2020, when the pandemic started, I can't even remember the date anymore. It's like if we had known, okay, it's going to be three weeks or three months, we would have been able to do it and we would have done it well and we would have like, you know, really rose to the challenge. And we were fairly good for those few months. I mean, of course, we hoarded Purell and, you know, toilet paper and all of those things. But what's happened is that psychologically now, we've moved from a pandemic sprint to a pandemic marathon. And that takes a cognitive shift that we were not prepared for. And I think that, like, look, we we know that that COVID, and now I feel like it's becoming political, this conversation, but we know that COVID uh, killed people, made people very sick, people lost their loved ones, like all of that. But now we're sort of in this place where mentally... People are really struggling. My children are really struggling. Like, we've been working from home for years. We have not been social. We have not been interacting. I'm feeling what my kids are feeling. My children have been masked. They are not—my little one is not learning to read the same way that my other one did because how can you learn to read when your teachers have their faces covered? I mean, there's just so much more to it than like, oh, COVID is a virus and it's killed people and— which it has, but there's just so many pieces to this. And also just sick of it. I mean, there's burnout in life. And like, if I hear the word burn, if I hear the word COVID one more time, I'm going to like just kill someone. I'm like so burnt out on the conversation. And, and I think also, I think we're all experiencing this. Every time I go on social media, I hear two completely opposing conversations. And I see one conversation that's saying, 
this is what's happening with the Canadian convoy. And then this account says, no, actually, that's not that's not true. This is what's happening with it. This is what's happening with mask mandates. No, this is what's happening. This is what which politicians being hypocritical. I feel so angry and I feel so mad at everyone and frustrated and I feel so like failed and I feel so angry for our kids and I feel I'm like so tapped out. And I, and so I think the conversation is twofold, which is burnout as a human being in general, take a pandemic out of it. And then you layer this on top of natural burnout because we all still have to work. We all still have to have a family and have relationships and put food on the table. It's, it's like a double burnout. I have so much to say about what both of you said. And I relate, you know, as a parent and a working mom and a wife, what's so interesting about the human brain is that we function really well when things are compartmentalized. So to Sarah's point, everyone's working at home, you know, you're Zoom parenting while you and your spouse are working from the same house. That's not natural. You know, usually we parent in one place, our home. And then we travel to another place, our work. And that time of travel, that commute is really important for the brain to switch off from mom mode or parent mode into worker mode. And there's like just a different identity that we really hold on to when we move into those, you know, into the worker mode. And then let's say you want to visit your parents and you go into, you know, daughter mode. But we have, our brains are designed to be compartmentalized. That's how we optimize our function and our productivity and all of these things. Unfortunately, during these past couple of years, we've all been stuck. I mean, geographically stuck in the same city, but for many people in the same house and in the same room. And it's not, it's not natural. It's not healthy. And so that is why there's lots of strategies that we can use to manage this time. But I think it's also important to know, Erin, that when you were mentioning that you're just fed up, yes, people are fed up. The statistics are bleak. Seven out of 10 people say that this is the most stressful time of their entire professional careers. We're seeing levels that have been never before seen in burnout. You know, 60, 70% of people are feeling burnt out. So COVID isn't just a public health issue. It's a parenting issue. It's a mental health issue. It's an occupational health issue. And it's really kind of a sense of reckoning for our society to say we need to prioritize things that really matter. Can you please define for us what burnout is? Because I want to know if it's more physical or if it's more mental. Great question. So the WHO, long before the pandemic, finally categorized burnout as a true clinical syndrome. And that was a really big move when they did that. Burnout is considered an occupational phenomenon. You know, now it's all muddied, right? Because we're parenting and working and everything is in the same place. But the classical definition of burnout is an occupational phenomenon. And there are several features of it. So typical features like feeling apathy, not motivated, unproductive, making lots of errors. That's what we think of when we think of someone who is burnt out, like that image, the visual image in your brain of someone who's burnt out. But what's so interesting is, especially now during the pandemic, especially entering year three, we're seeing a lot of the atypical features of burnout, an inability to disconnect from work. In one survey, 60% of people said that they are having that feature of burnout, which is really surprising and really discouraging. Of course, it speaks to all of the stuff that we've already talked about, right? Our being in the same place, difficult 
time compartmentalizing because we're geographically all squished in the same place. And so our mental space and our physical space is essentially one. So that idea that these atypical features, we have to understand that when someone's saying, I can't get off my email or I can't get off my phone, and these are actually features of burnout. The good news, I know we've had kind of a bleak conversation, but we're just airing our grievances. And I think first, it's really important you know, that's what group therapy is about, right? It's not group therapy today, but... I mean, we're down for it to be a little group therapy. (laughs) Uh, I, I think what's really interesting is that when we normalize and validate the experience, when we're going through a challenging time and we sit around and we talk about it and say, this is hard for me and this is why, and someone else says, oh, you're experiencing that? Me too. When we validate and normalize something, it makes us easier, makes our brains, you know, registers like, oh, we can cope with this. Otherwise, it feels insurmountable and there's a huge sense of overwhelm and you just want to hide underneath the covers. Also a normal reaction for what's happening. Anything you're feeling right now is a normal reaction to an abnormal situation. I have like so many friends who who on the outside, you look at them and you're like, and this is particularly in the last like, you know, year year or two, you're like, oh my God, they have everything, right? Like they're, they have everything. Like what, what do these people have to complain about? And the common theme with a lot of my friends right now is like, I'm f- so fucking depressed. And I think we're having a really hard time identifying, are we depressed? Are we burnt out? Are we sad? Like, what are we? Like, does burnout feel like depression? How do you know? Like, is it depression? Do I need medication or do I just need therapy? And also, don't you think some of the, some, a lot of times, um, the world around you, your environment really can create your mental state. So the world feeling yeah. upside down and feeling the anger around us and feeling like the discontent and the frustration, it like seeps in. You, you know, you open your phone first thing in the morning and, and every headline I see makes me like not want to get out of bed. Cause I'm like, I'm so scared to have kids. Like this world is, seems like it and feels like it's in a dark place. It's hard to feel joy when you have an environment that feels that way. So true. But you know, what's interesting about the brain is that the brain is a muscle, just like a bicep. So if you do a couple of bicep curls, like 20 bicep curls a day for a year, you will have defined what we call in medical terms, hypertrophied biceps, right? Guns. What's interesting is that the brain is a muscle too. So when we do certain things to our bodies, our brain reacts and that's the mind-body connection. Your body and your brain are always speaking to each other. They're inextricably linked. What's good for the body is good for the brain and vice versa. And when we do better, we feel better. So in spite of this real drudgery that we're all in, there's so many concrete things that we can do in our everyday, starting with what you said, Erin, checking your phone first thing in the morning. One suggestion is when you open your eyes, ideally the night before, keep your phone away from you. I've started doing this over the past year and it's done wonders Wait, for how my far own away from health. you? Like not on your bedside table? Not on your bedside table. If you can manage out of your bedroom, but if that's not possible, then keep it far away from your bed. So when you wake up first thing in the morning, you know, open your eyes because many of us scroll through Instagram, 
etc. Before we even open our how eyes, pathetic. And I do that. how pathetic I do that. is that? I, I do that. My alarm goes off on my phone. It's next to my bed. I, I like. I look at it and I see like, oh, text from this person, Shopify this, you know, Instagram notifications, and I just go right to it before my eyes are fully open. Before I've had one sort of like conversation with myself, like literally. Because you have that Absolutely. feeling that you're already behind when you wake up in the morning. I mean, we live in LA, so the East Coast is already up and running. You know, half of our business, you know, is run over there. And so you wake up and you already have so much going on, on your phone. And I feel the sense of panic, not panic. And FOMO, like, oh, what yeah. did I miss? On, like, what's no, happening on Instagram? I just immediately feel yeah. like, oh, I need to get in the conversation. I'm already behind. Yeah. And that's what these social media and, you know, tech companies want, right? I mean, we all know about the data and the research about, but what's important to know is that none of these things, like when we scroll through Instagram or Twitter or LinkedIn or whatever, these aren't benign activities. They have a direct hit and a direct impact on our brains through things called neurotransmitters, the chemicals in our brain, like dopamine and serotonin. So you get that dopamine hit when you go on to Instagram. And so therefore, keeping it away from you helps you remove that sense of a primal urge. The reason we have a primal urge to check the news right now, you've heard the term doom scrolling, of course, is because under normal conditions, we are governed by an area in the brain up here called the prefrontal cortex. It's right behind the forehead. And so we, you know, memory, planning, organization, all of these things we can do very easily. Under stress, we're governed by a place in the brain, kind of like deep within the ears in between, called the amygdala. It's our stress response, what we call the lizard brain in science. It hasn't evolved the way this part of our brain has. So stress primes that amygdala to say, red alert, let's be safe. And we, we have a sense of hypervigilance. We've all been having a sense of hypervigilance for three years. And so, of course, we're feeling that, you know, mental burnout because it's not natural to be in that state for that long. And so what's happened now is that to really get out of that state, away from that amygdala, fight or flight, high cortisol level, back to that, you know, resilient mode And I hesitate to use the word resilient because it's kind of got a bad connotation now. You know, there's like this idea of toxic resilience, like just grin it and bear it and everything will be fine. That's not what I mean. But we need stress for resilience to really show itself. But there's things that we can do in our everyday lives. First step is keeping your phone away from your nightstand to help you get out of that fight or flight mode because it's a way for us to be safe. By the way, that's the social media that's fully making people think that they're depressed too. I mean, I do it. Like, I'm a pretty secure person. I'm of age. And I'll look on Instagram and I'll be like, oh my God, like I wasn't invited to that. Or look at her. She looks so good and she's older than me. Like, how do, why don't I, I mean, and it what, sends me into a, yeah. like. What a, is your routine when you wake up in the morning? When you wake up, what, what do you do first? Because I mean, I'm sure you wake up and you have emails and texts to look at also. I do, but I don't check my phone first thing in the morning. So I keep my phone. It, it's been a game changer for me. And the times when I have to do like this morning, I had an early morning um, TV thing for NBC, but on COVID and I woke up early 5.30. And then when I have my phone next to my bed, I'm very aware of the fact that after I shut off the alarm, my finger will just naturally go to social media or email because that's just so what So what did do. you do? You woke up at 5.30, your phone was not in your room, but your phone, do you get your alarm on your phone or do you use a different alarm? 
I keep my alarm on my phone and my phone is about 10 feet away from my bed. Okay, so it's like so, on another piece of furniture. So you see so the alarm goes off at 5.30, you get up out of bed to turn it off and then what do you do? And then you can do anything you want. What I do is I do some stretching and I do, you know, like to move my body a little bit, some yoga poses, some stretching, some deep breathing. And then you brush your teeth, go to the bathroom, stretch a little bit more if you want. And then I do all of the things that I need to do, like parenting and breakfast and school drop-off and that mad rush. And then I check my email. You've not looked at your phone at all this time while you're bra- no. making breakfast for your kids. If, this is crazy. If, if there's something that I have pressing from yesterday, I will check. But that time, and if that's too much because it's a habit, it took me a long time to do that. If that's not possible, then try to just first thing in the morning, don't check your phone. You know, get up out of bed, brush your teeth, and then check. Do you guys have this feeling that I have where I feel this need to be connected to all these people all the time, but I also resent it and hate it the whole time I'm doing it. And then I put my phone down to disconnect myself. And then I really feel like alone with myself and uncomfortable. And so then I go right back to the phone. And like, I can't find that middle ground where I'm like healthily connected when it's quiet. Connected to strangers or people No, like I want to like, see what everyone's doing on Instagram. I want to text people. I call people in the car. Like I feel like I, I, I constantly have to be connected. I don't know how to just like sit alone with my thoughts. It's why I don't meditate. And I've never really fully been able to sink into a meditation practice is because I'm uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable being alone with my thoughts. I keep feeling like I need to like be stimulating my brain and distracting I'm myself the all the time. This. I'm the opposite of this. Oh. I have never felt more. And then let's we'll hear what you say. I've never felt more disconnected. I don't want to connect with people. I don't even consider calling someone on the car ride home. I just want to put my music on and zone out. This is my problem. I'm so disconnected from people. I don't text my friends. I don't call them. I mean, I have like one friend I talk to every day, but I've never been more disconnected from the people in my life. You know, it's fascinating and I don't care. about both of and that your scares story. Me. Mm. And I don't care. And that, that, but yet I feel lonely. I'm like, oh my God, I used to have so many friends. Like, it's really weird. I don't care. I don't care to change. But at this, it, yeah, I'll let you weigh in here. You know, what's so fascinating is that you both couldn't be more alike biologically, right? You're siblings, same mom, same dad. And yet you have these like opposing manifestations of what's happening both very normal and valid, but so, so different. And again, we're using a lot of, you know, humans are social creatures. We are meant to interact. We thrive in tribes. I mean, evolutionarily speaking, right? And so here we are isolated and forced into isolation because of this, you know, pandemic that we've been in. And so we're managing in different ways through coping strategies. We are primed for survival. That is what we are primed for as human beings. So we will figure out ways to survive. So for Erin, you, your survival technique is reach out to people. Am I connected? Are we close? Is everything okay? You know, again, it's that sense of hypervigilance. You want to make sure you and yours are taken care of. And for you, Sarah, your coping technique is I can't manage. It's too overwhelming. I'm done. I'm going to just go into my little turtle shell be a hermit and come out when this is over. And look at other people's lives. 
which is like to your point, that's burnout. When you scroll, when you're scrolling for for 30 minutes, it's like that's just because you want to be completely detached from you. And you can just dive into what other people are doing and what their lives look like. And it's less focus on the shit that you need to be doing or that you shouldn't be doing or that, you know. You know, it's interesting because it's easier to, nature doesn't like a vacuum. So it's easier when you stop something to substitute it with something else because that's what works for our brains. So one of the things, like I said, like keeping your phone away from you so then it gets out of that fight or flight, suddenly checking, doom scrolling, not even knowing. It's not a conscious behavior. We're subconsciously doing these activities because it's a way for us to feel safe during this really uncertain time. Keeping your phone away from you so you're getting up and doing that. Another really important technique is moving our bodies. You know, a 20-minute walk for people who don't exercise. If you're a regular exerciser, great. But if you're not and you want to create a habit, a mental habit of exercise, just 20 minutes every day. Get outside, all devices off, have a mask handy. I have to say that as a doctor. And, you know, take a walk, move your feet. Erin, you mentioned about meditation and you can't sit still. There's many ways to meditate without sitting meditation. Walking meditation is a great technique, especially for that if you have a sense of nervous energy. Meditation is really difficult. When I started meditating, it was very difficult for me to sit still, even for two minutes. I did a timer on my phone. Two minutes um, is such a long meditation. <laughs> it felt very, it felt, you know, it felt like it was 90 minutes. Now I can do a 20-minute meditation and it feels quicker because it's a habit. Like anything else, meditation is a practice. So for those people who say, oh, start meditating, come with me to an eight-day retreat, no. Because meditation is a powerful tool. You know, I say that medication, meditation, the difference is one letter, right? So it's a powerful tool. You have to start low, go slow, five minutes twice a day. And even that will be excruciating. And if you don't want to sit still and meditate, go for a walk. Think about your feet on the floor. Articulate your feet from heel to toe as you walk. You know, Play-Doh and other like other people like this used to do walks as a way of mental exercise. You work out your thoughts. You can, you know, whatever you want to do on your walk. Ideally, a silent walk is best. Is it? I was so, just going to say, is it a cheat to do a... Well, one is music. Why that, that I have to pee? Yeah, go pee. Um, that is my favorite thing to do is to go for a walk in my neighborhood with music on. It's really like way for me to get in, into my head in a, in a nice way because the music kind of makes everything feel romantic and like special and interesting. And I don't feel as stuck in dark thoughts as I am. I feel more like I, it brings light thoughts. Um, and it does help me relax a lot. And I love to listen to music in the car too. Is it a cheat to have that kind of taking you out of yourself as opposed to being in your head? Or like a guided meditation? Are these things cheats? It's not a cheat. So a guided meditation is different than what you're describing, which is like a walk and listening to music. If it makes you feel good, it's not harming other people and you're feeling a sense of wellness through it and it's not harming yourself, then you should do it. So, you know, listening to music on a walk is just for, for you, music is really therapeutic. It hits all the dopamine and serotonin and all the good stuff in your brain. I think it's important for us to trust what feels good. Because typically when it feels good, it often will be good for our brains and our bodies, right? So walking with music feels really good to you. Yeah. It's a stress reliever. feels like a movie. that a lot of people, what's something people don't realize, and I've become like an annoying sober person because I stopped drinking 
almost, I don't know, four and a half months ago. And I've been really fascinated to watch the way that it's played out in my life. And and it's been very surprising to me, the evolving ways that it's affected my life. And I really have a clear understanding now, like you were saying, when you remove something, you feel like this need to replace it with something else, that I've taken all these vices out of my life that I really felt was helping me cope. I felt like coffee in the morning was helping me cope and alcohol at night was helping me cope. And honestly, like I took gluten out of my diet, which maybe doesn't apply to a lot of people, but like indulging in like bready foods was a kind of like another vice of mine because it always made me feel sick. Um, but I was like, fuck it. I want it. So I'm going to have this and not having those things that I were, were like crutches that I leaned on. Like I need the coffee to wake me up. And then I need the glass of wine to calm me down. Removing those things. I, I feel less of an urge to, um, like have a crutch in general. Cause I've like really pulled it out of my system and I feel more content and able to sit with myself. Like I feel more comfortable sitting in a dinner without having to like use the crutch of a glass of wine to try to make me feel more comfortable or to like check out of my body. I really feel like it takes away the anxiety of like searching for the crutch. You know, you wake up in the morning, you're like, I have to have my coffee before I can function. And then you remove it out of your life and you're like, oh, I can just wake up in the morning and do what I need to do without the like panic around the thing that I need to ensure I'm going to be okay. I don't know. It's been really interesting taking those things out. I mean, I did sort of replace it with ice cream for a little bit, um, but I feel like that's not as bad as the other things. That's amazing. I mean, it sounds like you had a huge lifestyle overhaul during a pandemic, which is so commendable. Well, you know, the first year and a half was extremely drinkable for me and very edible as well. So I do you guys feel was not being as, as, as successful then. Uh, Sarah, did you want to talk about your company that you own, Athletic Greens? Are My, you How rich are you off of this? People are so tired of hearing me talk about it. By the way, I have single-handedly, you've done nothing. I have single-handedly turned thousands of people. Okay. And I feel comfortable saying Is that a that. real number. I think you're making that number up. Thousands of people. Well, I will. I will say that every single person I talk to goes, by the way, what do you think about athletic greens? Does it really work? Is it really, I'm like really like ready to buy it based on the, the podcast. And I'm like, you guys, it really actually works. Like the other night. Okay. You know how I said I've been drinking again. Well, occasionally I had a glass of wine over the weekend and I felt like shit the next morning. And the first thing I thought of was I want a scoop of athletic greens of AG1. And honestly, not even joking. I know they're paying us, but I really felt better after. Yeah. Because it's not like you're like, oh, I'm going to go saute some broccoli. It's like, no, I'm going to go put a scoop of all those veggies, all those. I actually do saute broccoli a lot. Not right when you wake up in the morning. That's true. So it's just this idea that you can have one scoop in your water first thing of the day and get all the nutrients and vitamins that you need. It's, I'll it's remind great. everyone what's in it. One scoop has 75 vitamins, minerals, a whole food source, all whole food sourced ingredients, including a multivitamin, multimineral, probiotic, green food, super blend, and more in one scoop. Mm-hmm. Okay. Basically buy it, feel better. You're welcome. So to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you an immune supporting free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packets with your first purchase if you visit athleticgreens.com slash foster today. Again, visit athleticgreens.com slash foster to take control of your health and give AG1 a try. 
Um, okay, very excited to talk about Stitch Fix. Um, we are newly talking about them on the podcast. We've obviously been aware of the company for a long time. Stitch Fix is, it is like, it takes the questioning out of getting dressed. I personally get very overwhelmed when I go on websites, when I go on these things, what goes with what? what? Should I dress like the businesswoman I want to be? Should I dress like a mom because I have kids, but I dress like somebody who's never had children before? Like you're always torn. I have so many personalities and so many looks. I have so many looks and that's what Stitch Fix does. It makes it easy for you. The first thing you do is you go on and it sends you like 50 options of looks and you thumbs up or thumbs down. Like, oh, no, I'm not going to wear that. Like, oh, your your tests say sad mom. Yeah, that is an outfit I would wear. That isn't an outfit. And quickly the algorithm starts figuring out what your style is. And after you've taken the quiz, it sends you outfits where you're like, yes, that is exactly what I would want to wear. Really smart. Some of my favorite things that I wear are from um, their suggestions. A fix and a stylist. They will send you five pieces that fit your style, size, and price range. You do not have to subscribe. I love that. Doesn't happen. You don't have to subscribe if you don't want to. You keep what you like and you return the rest. Yep. It, it, it's the easy way to get items that are just exactly what you want. They have a lot of brands that you know, that you trust like Madewell and Sanctuary, a million others. So get started today by filling out your free style quiz at stitchfix.com slash foster and take advantage of free shipping and returns. That is stitchfix.com slash foster. How can you decipher between am I depressed or am I burnt out? I love that question. And often you can't, especially now. So even though I am a doctor, I would still say, if you are confused, am I depressed? Am I burnt out? Talk to your doctor. Your doctor knows you, knows about medications that you're on, medical conditions, also knows what your baseline is and will be able to do lots of screenings. We have many screenings that we do in medicine to assess for those two, because especially now, those atypical features of burnout are something that we're seeing more and more. So it's really hard to tell which one it is. You do like blood tests? Like how do you... No. Typically for assessing in conventional medicine, which is what I practice, in assessing burnout versus depression, you have a conversation, you do several screenings. So questions, you know, scientific questions that are, they're called instruments. So it's like a survey, but it's a scientific survey that's been validated hundreds and thousands of time to be appropriate. And then once you get certain numbers and scores, then you put it together, talk to the person. You know, the other thing is if regardless of what you're feeling, if you're feeling like you're unable to continue working, if your relationships are impacted, if you're not sleeping well, if you're not eating well, if you've lost weight, there's certain alarm symptoms that should really cause you to have a sense of, you know, a red flag, regardless of whether it's burnout or depression. Or anxiety. Yeah, or like I, you know, insomnia. we all have like, we've all experienced, right? Like the terrible breakup and you're in bed and you can't get out of bed and your life is turned upside down and you're like, I'm so depressed. I'm so depressed. But like, are you depressed or is it just like a shitty breakup? And like- Well, you are depressed, but it's circumstantial. It's not like depression for no reason. Right. So that's more of an acute situation. And if you're facing symptoms- over two weeks, then you could be depressed. And there are treatments for that. 
you know, so, so what we're, what's happening now is it's hard to tell, but I will tell you the statistics, you know, we've seen a rise in stress-related disorders. When we talk about stress-related disorders in science, it's depression, anxiety, insomnia, and other mood conditions. We've seen a tripling over the pandemic of prescriptions to treat these conditions. You know, before, as a doctor, mental health has always been at the forefront of my mind whenever I'm seeing someone because 60 to 80% of all primary care visits have a stress-related component. And since my background is in stress and the mind-body connection, if a patient would come to me and say, I have a stomach ache and I did the full medical workup and everything was negative, then stress often becomes the diagnosis, what we call a diagnosis of exclusion, right? And so with something like this, when people are feeling... People might say, like, I'm having headaches and back pain, and it might not manifest as you saying, gosh, I feel really depressed and, you know, um, burnt out. All of those things need a full medical workup to say, okay, your symptoms are not from, you know, are, are not what we call organic in etiology, meaning it's not something that is caused by the body. It could be stress, but we don't ever say stress is the first thing we do the whole diagnosis of exclusion so in your with your question sarah you know maybe some people have a low thyroid and so they're feeling low and it actually might not be depression or even burnout and it could be a thyroid so or overactive talk to your thyroid doctor. can do that too is it because an overactive thyroid make you feel depressed or really just an underactive overactive thyroid can often, it's hyperthyroidemia. So overactive thyroid can make you feel jittery, anxious, difficulty sleeping. Again, all of these symptoms are so vague and can mimic lots of illnesses, you know? That's why it's so important to see your doctor, talk to your doctor, be honest with your doctor about what you're feeling. And of course, if you're having like alarm symptoms, you know, if you're having thoughts of hurting yourself. I want to go back to you talking about compartmentalizing things because you said it, as if it's a positive thing. And I've always thought of compartmentalizing things as a negative thing. It's usually what you say to someone when you feel like they are not being empathetic towards your situation and they're sort of compartmentalizing their feelings um, in a relationship. And I want to understand, you know, obviously the point of us talking to you and having this conversation is to understand how to um, feel less stressed or how to tackle burnout and how to feel less overwhelmed. Like one of the questions we have here is why is life so hard? Okay. Why does it feel so hard? And one of the things that I feel challenged with a lot that I imagine a lot of people do is I constantly feel pulled in a million different directions. And I feel like on one given day, you have, you know, a work person saying like, you haven't turned that thing into me yet. And then you have a family member saying like, uh, you didn't even call me back last night when I told you that I wanted to talk to you about that thing. And then my husband will be like, my mom says you haven't called her in like three days. And then I look at my email and someone's like, just following up because I haven't heard back from you. And then I'm like, oh my God, I don't know where to start. I feel like I'm failing and all these. And then you have that one person that's like, you know, hey, can can I get together with you tonight? We haven't seen each other in a while and I want to like fucking murder them. And I'm like, oh my God, stop putting so much pressure on me. Like just fucking let me live. And 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 then I feel like I'm, I'm everybody thinks I'm mad at them or like everybody thinks I don't want to talk to them or see them. And you just feel like you're failing. And, and are we supposed to compartmentalize to make that easier? Like what's the trick? I think that's a very, what you're feeling is a sense of overwhelm and it's a pressure cooker situation right now for everyone. And so you're feeling all of these things and it's very 
appropriate. It's something that many of us are feeling. When I talk about compartmentalization, what I mean more is the physical space. So when we're at home, we can just be, you know, out with our partners or with our family members at home. And then when you go to work, so when you take that commute and you go to work, you are at work and in that mode. And so one of the ways that you can add that sense of compartmentalization is a fake commute. So take a walk, you know, I call it like the bookends of the day. So first thing in the morning after after you get ready, maybe if you have children, then you do school drop-off and then take a walk because if you're working from home, you're not going anywhere. Take a walk, get into that headspace of, oh, it's a work day. Then have your work day. And at the end of the day, fake a commute again, walk around for a couple of minutes and say, okay, it's the end of the day. It just helps to distinguish sense of like a bookend to, you know, start of the day, end of the day. But when I talk about compartmentalization, it's more about like space because space really matters right now. And we don't have space and therefore we don't have the mental space because we feel cramped in our bodies and, you know. So what are the best coping tools? I mean, we talk about this all the time. Like, I don't feel like I have great coping tools. I see people get, you know, have pressure put on them and they just, they can take a lot and they can always make, my husband's this way. You can put a lot of different pressure on him in a lot of different areas and he will just like calmly give you the thing that you are asking for and he will not make you feel like you're asking too much of him. And he can give a lot of people a lot of himself and I don't know how to do that. But I think we were raised by a mom and she'd be fine with us saying this. She was always sort of overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. She was always overwhelmed. She handled most situations in a panic. Mm -hmm. The littlest things overwhelm her. Same with our grandmother. I'm starting to see it with me a little bit. Like a little bit like, um, (laughs) thank you. Um, (laughs) and you just wonder Simon was raised in a very calm calm household. household. It's true. Yeah. You know, it's interesting how people are raised and the reactions that we have, The thing is, I think that we all need to give ourselves way more credit than we're giving. And that's also a symptom of burnout when you berate yourself and say, like, I don't feel good. And, you know, I'm awful at everything and I feel horrible and I am horrible. And like, you know, so kind of separating your feelings from who you are. So I feel horrible, but I am not horrible. That sort of feeling, you know, that saying that and really choosing your words and that self-talk is so, so important. But There's things that we can do to move out of that stress response into that more calm response. So moving our bodies, protecting our sleep. So many of us are skimping on sleep because often when we have mental health challenges, sleep is the first thing to go. We're having fragmented sleep, so we're waking up lots of times a night or we're sleeping late for parents, especially mothers, revenge, bedtime, procrastination. That is a new entity and that's a thing. So once the kids go to sleep, the moms stay up way past they really want to. Because it's your only alone time. time. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, you know, protecting our sleep, the strategies is like, you know, be a grandma, go to bed at 10 p.m., 10 to 12 is the most restorative time for deep sleep. Yeah. Mm. Many of us are going to bed at 11, 30, 12, past 12. Ooh, so we're skimping our, our sleep. I am never in bed at 10. Oh my God. What do you say though? Like it's so easy for us. And I just think it's important to, you know, we have like a wide variety of, of listeners here. And I think for Aaron and I, we're so lucky. We have the ability to go for a walk after drop-off because we run our own businesses. So we could say, hey guys, guess what? I'm going to be late. But 
most people do not have that luxury. So what do you say to the mom who is a full-time mom raising three kids, struggling every month going, how am I going to have enough money to pay the rent? Working a job, maybe two jobs also. The kids are in daycare. You feel stress about that. Like, that's the real world in this country. Like, in this country, everything, like, we talk about, like, talk to your doctor about if you have depression. I mean, do you know how hard it is, you guys, to, like, see a freaking doctor? If you don't have a good doctor, you've got to get on a list. Who knows? It's like socialized medicine here at this point. It's like you can't just call and, like, be into the doctor that week, right? Like, how it is for some people. So I'm just saying, like, what do you say to the mom or whoever who's like, yeah, okay, great. I don't have time to take a walk. I don't, it's stressful that I don't know if I'm going to pay my bill, be able to pay the bills. Like these are things that are just so hard to talk yourself off that ledge, right? When they're just such major, major, major um, stress inducing um, life factors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And first off, I will say that to people in that situation, you are heroes, right? Of course, no one wants to be the hero and they don't want to be challenged and they don't want that, but they are heroes. And so the other thing I think is important to to really recognize is that the pandemic, you know, we've had structural inequality forever. So much discrimination, even in the field of medicine. And we are finally, because of the pandemic, we are seeing all of these inequities really brought to light. So socioeconomic, race, gender, everything. It's our Achilles heel and it's really coming to light. We're seeing it in a major way for everyone to recognize it. And again, if there's any silver lining, it's that we're having a greater acceptance of mental health. Even in the C-suite, people who never really thought about mental health for their employees are suddenly talking about it, you know, honoring parents and paid work leave and all of these things that have been around for a long time, but on the fringes have really come center stage because people are struggling. And for those listeners who are struggling, it's important to know that if you are having a true medical emergency, there are hotlines and there's various ways that you can manage that, you know, going, seeking medical care, getting in for an urgent care visit. So I have to say that because you know, as a physician, it's important to say that if you're having thoughts about hurting yourself, hurting others, please go to the nearest emergency room. You don't want to mess with those thoughts. That is not something you want to manage on your own. Um, But for people who are feeling that sense of overwhelm and just, you know, feeling so depleted or anxious and keyed up, there are many strategies and you don't need to have a fancy gym You don't need, you know, fancy equipment and all the latest high-tech gadgets. If you have time for a 20-minute Facebook scroll during the day, you can make time for a 20-minute walk without any distractions. We often use certain coping tools to manage our emotions, and we know we're doing it, but what ends up happening with something like doom scrolling is that it never ends up feeling good. And it's not doing something good for our brain. And yet we can't stop. Again, it's our biology. So we have to learn how to work with our biology rather than against it. So once you get into that habit of just taking a walk every day instead of that Facebook scroll, so swap it out. Nature doesn't like a vacuum. If you stop doing the Facebook scroll or the Instagram scroll, go for that walk. Over time, our brains, like I said, are muscles. So we will be primed to then say, oh, 
I really want to go for a walk and I don't really want to check the social feed because that is how our brains are designed. We are wired to feel good. And so when we see something feeling good, initially it'll feel, you know, not so good. Things might hurt. You might be, you know, annoyed, but then you remember that feeling of, wow, afterwards, I really felt great. So you do it again and again, and exercise changes the brain. I feel so good going for a walk and listening to a podcast. It changes my day. It changes my week sometimes. I feel empowered. I feel enlightened. I feel productive. Like, why do I not do that? More? Just think how many people we give that to. No, no, with but this podcast, I know, right? I mean, you're, you're, you guys are just walking right now. I see you. You're walking. You maybe have a dog, picking up that poop, listening to our voices, yeah, thinking you have a dog. Maybe you're pushing the the kids. Maybe in the you're pushing the stroller. stroller because, yep. And you're thinking that's me right now. Uh, I am feeling the gift of the podcast walk and it's a walking meditation. But it's like, I know that that works for me. I know what it does to me. So why don't I prioritize that? Why well, you instead know what? of doing you know what? Let's not make this sound so stressful because these people are walking right now. Like, let's give them more of a meditative state instead of stressing them out so much. Like, you're really like talking at them and I'm trying to like talk with them. Okay. I do have another question unless you're about well, to I say have, something. I have 50 questions, but I would like... You guys should text on your on your we, own. We will. You and I will exchange numbers. Uh, there's a question that I see here written in that um, I'm very interested in, which is advice on how to control negative and toxic thoughts. I have diagnosed myself as a catastrophist. That's a word, right? Doom and gloom scenarios. Yes. I, when I, I mean, the only thoughts that rush into my mind are horrific scenes of death and murder of all the people I love and care about, uh, illness, you know, all the horrible things that could potentially happen. Um, but is that new for you? Because I'm always the hypochondriac. I'm always the, I'm not I feel a bump. I'm like, it's a tumor. Like I am that person. I'm dealing with something right now. I have like a bump on my, one of my shoulder bones is popping out more than the left. And I'm like, Oh, I'm dying. This is what she was crying about before we started the podcast. I'm like, I'm literally dying. She became like a different person, completely convinced that it's a tumor. And she was like, she first, she like chewed my head off and screamed at me. And then she cried. And it was like a a roller coaster of emotions. But you're really sort of like um, taking in my question right now. My question is more about myself, which is being a catastrophist. What I'm saying to you, though, is I don't think of you that way. You're usually the person that's, I'm like, Aaron, have you checked that out? That's like, doesn't look good. You're like, oh, it's fine. So I'm not worried about me. Medical stuff, I'm more worried about horrible things happening to the people I love, especially the kids in my life. I mean, there's been so many times oh, that yeah. I I come over to Sarah's house and her daughter Josie, when she's like four, is like going for a scooter ride and I like can't relax. I'm like, I got to go with her because all I can picture is her not paying attention and then a car pulling out from the driveway and running over her. And it's like all I can think of. So I can't enjoy myself. So I walk down the streets, like looking for her like a crazy mother. And I'm not even her mom. I'm like so scared to have children because I'm so psychotic about my niece and nephews, my nieces and nephews, that I'm so worried about what I'll be as a mom, like constantly thinking that they're going to die. Well, if you choose to have kids, and it's not everyone's choice, but if you choose to have kids, you'll be a great mom because you have that sense of love and nurture. And, you know, right now it's heightened because it's a stressful time for all. So all of our emotions, whether typically the negative ones, are heightened. Um, So here's another strategy for this person who asked the question, your listener. A.K.A. We (laughs) often... 
(laughs) We often talk about the word gratitude, right? Oh, I feel grateful. I feel grateful for this and that. And that's all in pop culture. We just talk about that word. But there's actually a practice in science where if you write down five things you're grateful for every single day, and write the date. It's a 30-second exercise. And you do this over 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. It has a demonstrated impact on mood, negative thoughts, and all sorts of that those sad feelings. The reason is the term called cognitive reframing. What you focus on grows. Our brains are primed for survival. When, we're, when it's stressful, we look for the negative because it is a way for us to feel safe. So it's just how we're primed. And so negative experiences during stress, I say that they become like Velcro, like they stick versus Teflon, which just slips right off, right? The same amount of negative and positive things may be happening to you throughout the day, but if you're heightened in a sense of stress, You focus on that negative because it's our biology. It's a way for our evolutionary brain to keep ourselves safe. So instead, how do we move away from that Velcro to Teflon when it comes to negative thoughts? It's through a daily gratitude practice. It's not enough to say what you're grateful for or to think about it or even write it in a note in your smartphone. Pen and paper. We use a different neural circuitry when we write than when we type. So that's why when you go to a grocery store and you write out your list on a post-it and you lose the list, you still remember what you need to get versus when you type because you don't really remember. So it's a different neural circuitry. And over time, studies have shown that at 30, 60, 90 days, just that 30-second, 60-second exercise every single day, it builds a better brain and then it will you will move away from that sense of you know, stickiness of negative experiences like Velcro and it'll become more like Teflon. Okay, it's really crazy you're saying this. And this is going to sound like woo-woo and whatever. But when I was doing pen to paper manifestation um, exercises in a in a book, I swear to God, I was manifesting everything I wrote. And then I shifted to the notes section of my iPhone, okay? None of this, none of this fucking shit happened. None of this shit happened. None of this stuff. None of the stuff, none of all these manifestations that I was doing in my iPhone weren't in, connected. in the notes section, not nada, nada, oh. nothing. And I swear to God, this is just so interesting. Like I, for like six months, I was like, I'm, I'm doing it. I'm doing my, in my notes. And I'm just like, and I wasn't connected to it. I was not connected to the notes section in the iPhone. And so I've gone back to the pen to the paper in the journal And I am feeling like I really, that's just very interesting you said Mm. that. And people might be listening going, oh, please, give me a break. But I'm telling you, I feel this deeply. It connects more. There's something about digital just feels disconnected from your body. And a handwritten, you know, uh, writing out things feels much more connected. Maybe the universe. And there's lots of science to back that up. Yeah, I love that. There's science to back it up. Everly well. I am a big fan. I took the food sensitivity test. Um, turns out I'm allergic to cinnamon. That's not actually a part of my daily routine. So I'm actually fine with that. I guess it just means I can't have um, a little sprinkle of cinnamon on top of a latte occasionally. No, I just, I love this, this company. It just gives you information. Okay. There's so much about ourselves that we don't understand that we do not even know. A lot of people have been asking me about this, about Everly Well and really wanting to get one. So I have like five people in our family alone who have went and got the, um, Simon asked for the men's health one. 
Um, and, uh, I think Jordan asked for food sensitivity and mom wanted the metabolism one. They're, they're really accurate. They're really, really easy. Um, you just, they send you the, the box, you, you prick your finger, um, little blood comes out, nothing, nothing major. You no, know what's and- crazy is I haven't eaten eggs for two years and, um, like no one's told me I'm allergic to eggs. I just know that when I don't eat eggs, I feel better. Guess what my, guess what my test said? I'm allergic to eggs. Come on. Yeah. Wow. It's almost like you, you knew it. It's uh, no, but I did know it, but no one told me it. I just stopped eating eggs because they didn't. You're very very in tune with your body. That's really impressive. I am. Well, I mean, after all these fucking years, I better be in tune with my body, you know, (laughs) not in my twenties anymore. You know, you've always been more in tune with yourself than with anybody else. Yes. Everly well ships your at-home test straight to your house. You can do everything. You can collect all this information without ever having to leave your house, which is a huge uh, that's a huge incentive for me. Yes. And for listeners of the show, Everly Well is offering a special discount of 20% off at any at-home lab test at everlywell.com slash foster. So that is everlywell.com slash foster for 20% off your at-home lab test, everlywell.com slash foster. Sarah, bring your sex voice. Let's hear it. I will not be doing that, but who, you know, isn't looking to have better sex. I think actually, you know what I think? I think my sex is actually too good. Maybe I'm too good at it. You know what I mean? Using Foria. Okay. Foria products, they are made to help women and people fully experience their sexual pleasure. Okay. They say, and I will not go into too much detail, but that it, you know, it heightens the, uh, the orgasm. Mm-hmm. Can you say uh, one here? I'm pretty sure you can say anything <laughs> you want. Okay. I just don't want to hear you talking about the arousal oil. Even <laughs> you want me to talk about vulvas? No, but like, look, we can laugh now, but the reality is we're all having sex and we all want to have more of it and better of it. Yeah. Like- I cannot recommend high, high enough the arousal oil um, and the sex oil. You know, they are, these are clean things. You guys know we're not putting anything up inside us that is not completely They are using all natural and plant-based ingredients to intensify sexual pleasure and relieve discomfort. So yes, you have our permission to try this. We fully endorse you to go ahead and treat yourself to a more deeper, fuller pleasure wherever you can find it as often as possible. And you can try with a bottle of Foria. Foria is offering a special deal just for our listeners. You get 20% off your first order by visiting foriawellness.com slash foster, or just use the code foster at checkout. That is Foria, F-O-R-I-A, wellness.com forward slash foster for 20% off your first order. I recommend trying their Awaken Arousal Oil and their sex oil. You will thank us later. Please DM us and tell us the dirty details of your new sex life. To the person who's just feeling so defeated and just like alone, right? Like I am alone. I am defeated. I don't know where to turn. I have, maybe have a bad relationship with family. Maybe I don't have family. You always do this. You take, you get, when you give an example, you give to an extreme of an example. You're like, okay, how does this person who's stressed out, who's like living in a one bedroom apartment with 12 people, they just lost their job. They're going through a divorce and they just discovered they have cancer. Like that's a big one to, to chew off. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's a lot. Okay. That's... So maybe why don't you give something a little bit more manageable? I'm just saying to the person who's just feeling super alone, whatever that looks like. I have friends who are married with kids, great job, and they feel alone. So like, what do you say? Like, how do you even begin to tackle that feeling of just feeling alone? 
You know, Sarah, we're going through a loneliness epidemic. The Surgeon General has talked a lot about this, and people are feeling very lonely. It's a normal reaction to this abnormal situation. So if you're feeling a sense of loneliness, you're not alone. It's an epidemic. You know, we often say that mental health is the shadow pandemic, and loneliness is a really key feature in that. There are many ways to feel a sense of connection, but it is very personalized. We also know that when people are connected, it improves lifespan, particularly with elderly people. So loneliness has always been a challenge with elderly people. And if we can work on the elderly population to feel less lonely, it has a uh, mortality benefit, meaning it helps people um, stay alive, you know? So loneliness has a real impact on our emotions and our physical health too. So there are many ways to be connected right now. And some really wonderful strategies that I've either participated in or heard from people that have worked really well is having a weekly dinner with the family, a Zoom dinner, Different family members all over the world sometimes. I've done this with my own family at, at times. Once a week, you meet, you have dinner together, all, all different tables wherever people live, but a sense of community. There are many ways that we can foster that sense of community, even if you're not meeting face-to-face. But one of the challenges, like in your example, someone who lives alone, you know, single people who live alone have had a touch shortage because they're not seeing, they weren't seeing their friends, they weren't going out, they weren't seeing their colleagues. And the human body needs to be touched. It's an important touch and hugs. It's an important part of our well being. And so that's something that has really something that we saw a lot with single people. They just felt very isolated because they were, but also physically and emotionally isolated. So there are many ways, and sometimes we have to get creative, but I think really making sure that we focus on that loneliness instead of saying, oh, it's nothing, it'll go away. Actively try to foster some deeper connections. If you're with your family and you don't want to be with other people, understandably, because it's, you know, we're still in the pandemic, then create some sort of rituals or meaningful exchanges so it's not four or five or however many people are in your family sitting in the same room scrolling on their phone. That's not quality time, right? This question I thought was interesting. You know, you talk, everyone talks a lot about self-care. And so the question is, does self-care help burn out like a, like a bubble bath and a face mask? Does that really help? Like, what do you do if your life is stressful and you can't really change the fact that you're in a high stress job and you, you know, have a couple kids and you're managing your life? Are those the things that will help give you more space from, from the burnout is giving yourself the time to take a bath or a face mask? And are those well, things walk. helpful? I mean, we kind of talked about Yeah. I mean, a bath and a face mask helps. It doesn't necessarily change our biology the way that we would if we were to protect our sleep or take a walk or practice with a gratitude journal or keep your phone away from you. These techniques that we talked about actually change our brain and our biology. Face masks don't do that. They'll make us feel good. Baths don't do that either, though taking that time for yourself is critical. So the time spent taking care of yourself is what ends up feeling good, regardless of the activity. By the way, that phone, I'm starting that. I'm starting mm-hmm. that tonight. I mean, I, it's always on it's always on silent, but it's not on off because by the way, like what about just I always have this idea and people say it and you're like, is it true? Is it not true? But like 
like the rays, you know, Tommy, my, he's always like, you keep those rays away from the kids. They're the rays. Like, is it true if your phone is near you, there actually are like, yeah, while it's charging, it's actually especially bad. Like rays that then go into your Do they go into your brain? These, these rays that are all over the place or no, like the satellites, the electromagnetic fields. (laughs) I wish I knew more about the you know, how it works. But yeah. it's the reason I say keep the, the phone away is more because of the doom scrolling and the brain yeah, yeah, yeah. behavior around it. Mm-hmm. So many reasons to keep that phone away. There's like, this is like the entire episode is like the, just just <laughs> put the phone away. Just put the phone away. Have we even gotten to all? Yeah, I've gotten to a lot of the questions. Okay. Okay. So one thing is like, you know, people have a lot of social anxiety right now, you know, because of COVID and they're having a really hard time coming back from it. And this question was saying that, you know, COVID has given this person a lot of severe social anxiety, even with their good friends. Mm. And I have really felt that there are people that when I'm with the people I'm closest to my closest friends and I go, why do I want to be alone right now? Why do I feel anxious? Why am I having a hard time getting through this conversation? Or to them, right? Or a hard time connecting and just, yeah, just feeling like kind of glazed over and uncomfortable. And like, I just want to be home doing something that feels safe. Um, and Burn it makes out. me sad. Like my 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 favorite people, my closest friends. What What's a way to sort of start to come out of our shell with the social anxiety? So with social anxiety and feeling that sense of, you know, if you were an extrovert, like I am, I'm an extrovert, you both are likely extroverts too. But then suddenly during the pandemic, you're feeling much more introverted. So it's this interesting dynamic. We're seeing people who are naturally extroverts feel very introverted during the pandemic as a stress response, of course. And so there's many ways to cope with that. You know, first understanding, if you remember six months ago or a year ago when people said, oh, the pandemic's over, it's going to be like the roaring 20s when the pandemic is over. Everyone's going to go out and there's going to be, you know, raves and people are going to just go crazy and have, you know, be be together in like large crowds. But in fact, that didn't happen. Of course, the pandemic is not over, but there is a sense of social anxiety. So we have to wade into that social pool, dip your toe in, go slow, understand that socialization is a learned behavior. And many things that we took for granted three years ago, three years is a long time to be living this way. So we've forgotten a lot of the social graces that we used to have. You know, for the summertime, I live in Boston, so I'm not going out to dinner And I haven't gone out to dinner in a long, long time, like you in LA, where you have good weather, better ventilation, you can go out. But in the summer months here in Boston, I, um, you know, was going out in the evenings and sitting outside with friends. And I remember that first meal that I had with friends, I got the food and I just started eating it. It it, it just Oh, like you didn't wait for your friends to get their (laughs) food too. (laughs) Ate the food, didn't talk. And then- You're like, I didn't even pay my bill. I just left. I didn't even pay the bill. (laughs) I finished and I said, oh my God. And then we all laughed because- they had gone out prior to meeting and they said, we did the same thing because you're so used to eating at home with your family, plate comes, eat the food, move on, you know. And so you've forgotten a lot of these social graces or if you get the food, you talk about the appearance and, oh, that looks great. And I want to try that. And I want to, you know, you have this whole culture of socialization that we have really just lost during this time. I have zero interest going to a party. And I'm talking not like a dinner party, but like a party zero, zero interest. Like it gives me, I start 
my pores start opening and I start sweating just thinking about it. I mean, in some ways, yeah. there's positives to the idea that we don't feel so needy of the big, loud social events. Like, I feel much happier at a dinner. Prioritizing the few people that you care about. Yeah, I want to be at a dinner with six people or less. I don't really feel a desire, like you're saying, to be these big things. And and I don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing. But I would like to be comfortable at the table of six people. Yeah. Right. And we will get there again. You know, the brain, the human brain is adaptable. And when we do better, we feel better, we'll feel better. So once things get back to normal, once we're able to sit and have dinners with people and it feels much more normal, it's a skill. It's like riding a bike. You may have forgotten, but, you know, it might be a little shaky in the beginning. But as soon as you get the hang of it, you're back to how you used I do to just want to ask this one thing because I am, I am very curious about we have... And, and a lot of people talk about it. A lot of women talk about it in our world about the, 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 the crazy hustling. Everyone is on the hustle. We now, because of social media, people have these, like you sort of, if you're not doing a million things, it's like, oh, what is she even doing? You know, like now it's like people feel more than ever that they have to be doing so much or they're not doing enough, which is of course contributing to the burnout. Do you sort of feel like, guys, take a step back, figure out the one or two things you're good at, focus on those, get better at those? Or are you like, oh, I love this. I love in 2022, everyone's doing a million things. And no, of course, the former, less is more. When we're under periods of stress, we're not functioning optimally, neither in body or in mind. So we have to nurture ourselves and really take it slow, everything that we're doing, you know, taking it slow and also relaxing our standards a little bit and understanding that it's very normal to not feel that urge to achieve and do all of these things because we're at that stage right now of just feeling very burnt out. The other thing is that productivity, human productivity functions on a curve. So if we're too keyed up and very anxious, we're not productive. But if we're like not feeling motivated, we're also not productive. There's this middle ground. And so if we do less and kind of scale back, you might be able to achieve more. It's a counterintuitive scientific thing, but it could help, you know? So doing like truly less is more right now. No, it's so true. And ultimately, if you're doing kind of everything at 50%, it's going to go away anyways, because you're not going to be doing a good job at it. It's like yeah, this and is- I, And making sure, I think, you know, We've also learned, like Aaron said, like less is more when it comes to socialization and what's important. You know, I like to talk about silver linings during the pandemic because it's been so much doom and gloom. And so there are some silver linings. Absolutely, that, there are. Yeah, like that we've really come together. Quality time. Quality time has really looked different the last three years. And I have really enjoyed that aspect of it. And I think it should also be okay sometimes to admit the positives that you experienced in a pandemic. I mean, at the end of the you day- You feel guilty about it sometimes, right? Well, because- listen, there's a lot of people who go, oh, I had a great pandemic. And like at the end of the day, the thing that sent us into our homes was extremely terrifying and sad. And there's a lot of loss and a lot of illness and sickness. But a lot of people, once they were in their house, it changed the shape of their family structure. I know a lot of parents- 
that were traveling a lot for work, gone a lot and completely okay with it. And then now they're like, I would never go back to that way of living. I got to see my kids grow up in a way that I never had before. I had breakfast with them. Yeah, it's a very different thing. I mean, I was really lucky in a lot of ways. I got married two months before the pandemic started. So my first year and a half, two years of marriage was stuck at home together. And it was honestly a really wonderful time. I was like, I'm going to, I'm like being a stay at home suburban wife. I'm like cooking meals all day. And like, we were spending all this amazing quality time together and going on walks together. And I don't know, it was like a kind of a magical time being stuck at home together. So there are things that are positive that have come out of this. I do feel changed for, for the better in a lot of ways from the pandemic. And I think we just have to shake off. You have off. to be so careful saying it though, because it was so horrible for so many people. So it's like, it's one of those things. I but just you, think you're allowed nobody's to have... experience can ever be invalidated. Like, no, you no. know, if you're pushed into your home for a negative or a positive reason, you know, I, I don't choose who COVID affects. So I, we were really fortunate that it didn't affect us negatively. Um, and we were able to have an experience where we got closer for it and our family structure did change. And like you're saying, you know, getting together with a family every week, you know, we really tried really hard. We implemented family Sundays throughout our the pandemic. Our family got closer for sure. We got closer. We would, before we were able to be in person together, we were doing um, Shabbat Zooms with the family and it was really fun. And you know, we were just able to connect in a in a more meaningful way. And and it, I think that's okay. And it should be celebrated. You know, the fact that we've been able to deepen our connections to our immediate pod that we're with versus, you know, focusing so much on the external. We've really been able to go inwards. But we're ready now, you know, yeah. to... to we're ready to get back to the world. Change that, yeah. And hopefully, you know, if there's any lesson in all of this is that we're really learning how to zoom out, at least I am, focus not so much on the now, of course, yes, but also zoom out and realize that this will be, there will be a point in time that we will say, oh, we lived through this. And that's our resilience really playing into this, you know, understanding that it's, that we've, we're living through an experience. It's incredibly challenging for many people and there will be an end. What is like some advice as someone who has a six-year-old and an 11-year-old who mm, has this spent- This feels very specific. Who has spent, no, I said it's as someone who has a six-year-old oh, okay. and 11-year-old. Like what are the sort of like, are we going to see like lasting long-term effects on these kids and these like pivotal years that they a, were at home for? I mean, my daughter- I'm telling you, I know her reading is behind because of of this structure, which is fine. But are we, is there anything we can do to like get, like they'll be okay. Obviously they're going to be okay. But do you think we're going to see some like really like long-term effects on these kids? So as a parent, Sarah, I sympathize completely. Um, I've been reading, you know, I've never parented during a pandemic and no one has. I've been reading the New York Times um, parenting blog incessantly, the American Academy of Pediatrics, healthychildren.org, because I'm not a pediatrician. I probably, you know, adult medicine is my specialty, not pediatrics. And we just don't know yet. I wish I could you know, answer in a little bit more of like a comprehensive and nuanced way, but truly for all of us, adults and kids, we don't know how, what the fallout of this is going to be for us and won't know for a long time. 
We are fairly resilient and adaptable as a species, human beings and our brains and our bodies, and we're going to be okay. But how does this pan out? What about mental health for the next several years? What about physical health for the several years? Because we know people haven't been going to their regular medical checkups and getting screenings. So the ripple effects of this pandemic beyond just the acute illness of COVID, you know, what about long COVID? It's affecting millions and millions of people. So how this plays out for the long term is really a big question that no one can answer. And if they can answer it, then, uh, you know, that no. And if they can't answer it, they're probably not. Right. So we're all in this together as parents. We're all just like holding hands and just going like, they're going to be fine. They're going to be fine. And I think giving that sense of connection and love, right, children, what I tell myself is like, no, I'm not doing all of the things that I once did out and about and traveling. Traveling was my escape, traveling, you know, all the time. But we get to be together as a family. You have that attention and care and love and it's a deepening of bonds. And so that can help us like keep us buoyed up and shore us through this really difficult time. All right. Well, you're amazing. Dr. Didi, this was so this amazing. Was amazing. And now we know to write down five things we're grateful for every day. Keep our phone away from our bed. Go for 20-minute walks, movement, meditations, and, you know, create a little bit more space in our um, mental state. And to I think have be a little burnout. less hard on ourselves. Exactly. We're all, you know. Exactly. Thank you so much for taking the time. It was so great to meet you. So great to meet you both. I wish you the best of luck. And I'm so jealous that you're in LA with all the tropical palm trees and I'm I in the know. frozen tundra. Well, of come visit us anytime. Yeah, when you're in town, when you if you ever come here, please reach out so we can maybe meet in person. That would be great. Thank you so much for taking the time. You're obviously a lot busier than us. So thank yeah. you. And have a great weekend. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thank you. Bye. Bye. If you like this podcast, leave a rating and review. This podcast is executive produced by... Can you not use that voice? I'm sorry, I'm trying to sound... Yeah, but you don't need to make it sexy. This podcast is executive produced by... Do you have a normal voice? Yeah. Aaron Foster, Sarah Foster, and Allison Bresnick. I'll take over. Our Our associate producer is Montana McBearney. Our audio engineer is Josh Windish. This show is hosted by Simplecast. See, that didn't sound nice. That sounded great.